0: $25 each.
1: Visit concert concertweek to buy
0: now. That's concert concertweek to buy now. When you think about the
1: future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all.
2: Join Graham Class as he hosts season two of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming
1: Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Matt. Our colleague Noel is not with us today, but he will be back soon.
2: And sends his regards. They call me Ben. We're joined as always with our super producer, Alexis, codenamed Doc Holiday Jackson. Most importantly, you are you, you are here. And that makes this the stuff they don't want you to know. It is Thursday as you are hearing this. And if you are hearing this, then you, fellow conspiracy realists, are joining us for our favorite segment, which is when we share your stories with you. This is the most important part of the show in many ways, uh, because as you know, we, uh, Matt and I, when we started this, we were fairly convinced, not without reason, that we would get fired uh, the day our first video went to air. Uh, so nobody tell our bosses that we're still around, right? Yeah. We can get away with that. Yeah. Okay, so <laughs> it's, it's weird, Ben. Ben,
1: I don't know if you can yeah, sense yeah. that. I feel like somewhere in some part of the world, I'm hearing candles being blown out. It's really weird. I don't know if you can hear that. Oh, I oh, know oh. it's strange.
2: Yeah, no. Well, I'm microdosing, so I thought it was me, but uh, <laughs> but but it's fine. Everything's everything's fine. Big candle doesn't run us. Uh, but Matt, you recall. Earlier this week in our strange news segment, uh, you and I were foreshadowing a bit with uh, conversations about rodents and the unknown Mm -hmm. ways in which they interact. I, I believe we were specifically talking about the very strange threshold of rat poop in cereal, which is a thing. Uh, which uh, I I think uh, more people should know about. And it also is one of our reactions previously this week was uh, to accuse big companies of being in the pocket of big rodent. And that's something that uh, has been on our minds collectively quite recently because our first piece of listener mail today comes from a fellow conspiracy realist who wishes to be identified as the naked mole rat and NMR for short, it appears you've chosen violence today, my friend, you have some uh, accusations and in the interest of transparency, as we are against censorship, uh, we wanted to read your letter to your fellow listeners. So here we go. Now, I don't know if this is the one that gets us, Gets us in hot water, Matt, but let's see. Dear stuff they don't want you to do. I hate to be that guy writing just to point out mistakes, but recently you made a rather glaring error, and I think it would be best to get in front of the inevitable backlash. Ben described the guinea pig as the most why-are-you-even-here animal. I almost spat out my coffee when I heard that. Fortunately, by the time I brewed a pot, i pulled myself together. I'm writing now to set the record straight. And Naked Mole Rat does so. Matt, do you want to take this next part?
1: Oh, sure. The guinea pig, your listeners should know, occupies an important ecological niche. Namely, it serves as a reference for scale in photographs... Of the capybara, the world's largest rodent and true holder of the title, the most why are you even Here animal. Without the guinea pig, you might look at a picture of a capybara and say, I guess it's pretty big, or I don't know, I can't really tell how big that is. I wish there was a much more familiar yet smaller animal in this frame with the capybara, maybe sitting on its back so I could get a better sense of its size. You've never had to say that. All thanks to the hard work of the humble guinea pig.
2: All right, we're doing voices. We're doing voices naked mole rat.
1: <laughs> and I hope there's you like mole. This.
2: And there's more. The guinea pig also serves as a prop in pictures of capybara dressed in costumes sea-attached. They perform as the straight man in capybara gags. See linked video, capybara farts on guinea pig's head. And they can also convincingly portray the main capybara in movies when they flash back to when it was a little kid. I couldn't find any examples, but come on. Who else would you cast?
1: (laughs) Anyway, I think it goes without saying, the capybara was meant to go extinct when all the other cartoonishly large versions of modern animals died off. Scientists believe the capybara was unaware of its own size, and thus survived. The theory makes sense. After all, back then, it had nothing to reference for scale.
2: Oh, okay. No, no, wait. These are good notes. (laughs) Uh, anyway thank you again (laughs) as always for an otherwise excellent show feel free to use any portion of this email however you see fit though if you air it you'll surely be seen as pimping yourselves out to the lobbyists repping big rodent so it goes form regards the naked mole rat all right well We got our we got our handed to us on this
1: one, Matt. We really did. We really did. It makes so much sense that the guinea pig, you know, provides such a key role in understanding (laughs) the capybara. When you're, especially now that we're on our phones all the time, you know, Mm -hmm, a picture mm -hmm. of a capybara in those dimensions just doesn't make sense unless there's a guinea pig on its back or being farted upon near it.
2: Right. That's just science. At that point, (laughs) what we really appreciate is uh, the theory here. Right, The reasoning behind your concept, Naked Mole Rat, uh, put in short, the idea is that the Capybara survives because it did not have a sense of its own scale. And I've got to tell you, I mean, we're having fun with this one. Just like you folks, fellow conspiracy realists, we we love to take uh, an email that makes our day or something. And, you know, we're all actually friends in real life, so... Matt and Noel and Doc and Mission Control and I will send stuff to each other if it cracks us up. But it also goes to another question I have, which is, not not to be disrespectful, but Capybara, how did you make it this far? How are Seriously. You, like, w- w- what are your, like, <clears throat> okay, so first <laughs> off, it is a gigantic rodent in South America. It looks a little more swampy than you might imagine if you've never seen a picture. I imagine everybody has at this point, if you have the internet, because it's quintessential eye bleach, right? They're hugely popular in Japan. They're just regular huge in South America. Literally, they're an animal of least concern. Um, I don't know, man. They, they're really good swimmers. Uh, you can see them in Florida now. They're actually, they're one of the relatively few large fauna whose range may be growing um they're herbivores you know they're not out yeah. uh also they're picky herbivores I, <laughs> I don't know man i don't know the one bad thing i can say about the capybara the one bad habit quote-unquote that they have is they are autocoprophagous
1: oh really yeah they're yeah eaters, that- man. <laughs> Yep. Um, well, yeah, that's the thing, and their primary predator, the chupacabra. You know, it you can barely find it anywhere anymore.
2: <laughs> right. Right. Gone are the days uh, when the, <laughs> you could see the the noble chupacabra just cavorting a, across the savannas across Puerto Rico. Um, this is interesting, though, to take one one moment for this uh, naked mole rat. Your theory. Is fascinating because it has echoes of uh, earlier scientific research, especially as human civilizations in days gone by would expand and document parts of the world they had never seen. The idea that uh, <laughs> the idea that guinea pigs exist to give the capybara a sense of scale is like although it sounds like we're all joking right now um, and obviously uh naked mole rat not to diminish your theory in any way uh, it, it doesn't it's not too far from a lot of the previous theories that early naturalists would have about the world you know we live in uh, we live in a civilization founded on discovery and no dumb questions right like uh i always think of elephant skulls which are the origin of the cyclops myths i, I can't blame people for looking at the skull of an elephant and saying i don't know it looks like an eye
1: yeah i remember that oh that's that's a really creepy thing to think about uh, seeing it and imagining the monster that this skull once belonged to yikes mm-hmm. yeah dude um I don't know what else to say here. I think I think Naked Mole Rat really just like took us to task, was right, and yes. we just have to say, look, personally, I'm sorry. I didn't understand. We, apologies and gratitude. Thank
2: you, Naked Mole Rat, uh, for bringing the real issues to bear here uh, and helping you and me and and hopefully all of us listening realize that there's a lot. A lot out there to learn. And with that, in the spirit of exploration, we're going to pause for a word from our sponsors and return with more messages from you.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs.
2: And we have returned. So, in some ways, it appears the capybara may be a kind of big brother to the guinea pig. Uh, Biologist in the crowd just got very irritated by that statement. Uh, well, moving on, we're setting up the big brother comparison because we have a segue. Uh, we have a very important Letter, a piece of correspondence we received from a person we will identify as Steve. And I don't know about you, Matt, but this one was an eye-opener for me.
1: Oh, yes. Uh, Let's jump right in, read it, and then talk about it. Steve says, Good morning, guys. I've been a long-term listener, and I was hoping to contribute, and here's my chance. I work in cybersecurity for an unnamed... Organization and part of our organization is focused on the insider threat, meaning an employee who is willing to sell company intellectual property for their own personal gains. A simple example of IP loss would be the Colonel's 11 secret herbs or the recipe for Coca Cola, both of which we know are highly protected. Right? True. This is off email. Very, very uh, important things that an insider could leak if info wasn't controlled so tightly let's go back to the email in your episode you guys focused on knowing what an employee is doing during their work day this part of the organization the one that he's talking about is focused on what you're doing while you're not working
2: Mm. Ew. of course
1: this is the deeper
2: water steve says Looking at openly available data on your social media – LinkedIn, Facebook, Twitter – this group identifies your personal connections and analyzes things such as business trips, personal trips out of the country – required if you're working on some government programs and then monitors data transfers, things you're printing out, etc. to identify instances outside of your normal behavior. Very much big brother, but companies have had real instances of employees selling company IP, intellectual property for personal gain, sometimes not personal gain, but blackmail by foreign hackers who threaten to expose compromising photos, etc.
1: Companies like the one I work at have had real-world examples of this loss to foreign nations, including China, Russia, North Korea, Iran, etc., and is a real thing. Things people should do is change the visibility of all your personal social meds accounts, keep your company from looking, but also the foreign nationals who might be trying to learn about you and exploit you. I wanted to share with your listeners some things your employer doesn't want you to know.
2: Mmm. Mmm. Thank you, Steve. Uh, this is something that I think hopefully hits home with a lot of our uh, fellow listeners today, Matt. First mm-hmm. impressions. Um.
1: Yeah, of course.
4: <laughs> uh, every, uh, yeah, of course. Everything in here. Right.
1: I mean, it's it's so funny. I, I don't want to make this about me, Ben, but I I choose to not be super engaged in social media for this reason. Not not for an employee. But for closer to that last paragraph in Steve's email, where anybody that wishes to have anything on you, right? Any kind of leverage, mm. any kind of just personal information on you or someone that you're an acquaintance with or even a very good friend with, they can use your social media uh, in so many ways, uh, especially photographs and videos, which have become the most popular social media out there. Mm-hmm. Yeah,
2: that's true, and you know my uh, long-standing idea on the. I want to be careful how I say this. Uh, on On the push to make short form, unresearched media the dominant, little consumption piece of the day, right? Uh, I feel like uh, I can be sometimes called a luddite for those concerns, uh, but but I share them. You know, the issue there is that a small piece of video that is catchy is something that is very easy to say yes to. And mm. especially now, many, many people want to be Promethean. They want to be the bringers of the fire, of the knowledge, right? And if you are incentivized such that you feel you are socially more important if you are the first person bringing the thing, then you are in some ways disincentivized to figure out whether or not that is real or it is true. And this is, this is dangerous. First off, nobody really loves a a know-it-all, right? There should be more appreciation of being open to learning. And that's a problem the human species has had since, you know, the days in the Savannah, right? The, the issues, the issues are the same, but I, I would say with this, I'm waxing a little bit too philosophical, so let's make it practical, right? Let's talk about short-term future, present moment, things that matter to you if you're listening. You must reasonably assume that any tool at your employer's disposal to monitor you legally will be used or could reasonably be used. That doesn't mean that the employer in question is necessarily malevolent It means that they are not stupid because think about it. If you had that level of uh, potential visibility, especially if you're working with hundreds of millions of dollars of stuff, or if people's lives are potentially at stake, then you have to do it. Otherwise you're the person who was asleep at the wheel when something went wrong. And I can tell you, honestly, people get compromised over things that seem pretty small, you know, to outside observers, but are very big in their personal lives. People are waking up and saying, man, I can't wait to sell these, the plans for this new nuclear component. I can't wait to sell that for like $25,000 or forget it. $23,000. It's not about the money for me. It's about the fun. People don't think that way. Most of them, uh, what they're going to do is is get compromised. And that's why, to me, that's a dangerous wrinkle about the prevalence of social media, the expectation that one should have it, the normalization of having a constant surveillance device like a phone on your person at all times. The West, at least, is in a situation where it now becomes suspicious not to have some sort of social media you know, and I don't think that's fair because there are a lot of people who just recognize the addictive nature of the dopamine rush, which is calculated or serotonin and any any number of feedback loops that are created. I, I um I don't know. I, I know we might sound like crazy wing nuts railing against the erosion of privacy. But you really should be careful. It's fine to be performative on social media. It's fine to only post the good things or the funny memes or whatever, but be very careful about what can be read from those because you may be saying more
1: than you think. There you go. And don't get compromised. <laughs> yeah, don't get compromised.
2: Right, right. Don't let Big Roden get you. Uh, also, it's weird because there are so many people nowadays who don't have that basic hygiene, right? Uh, don't have the, the basic understanding that if you work for conglom or whatever, and then you go on um, TikTok and you say, Hey, I work for conglom Here are uh, eight terrible things that I know and, and I've proven them and I could have, taken these to court and had a meaningful change in their behavior. But instead I wanted attention on some ephemeral social media platform. You're going to be fired and you could try to go to court, but they'll, they'll get you.
1: Yeah. (laughs) I just don't know what else to add.
2: Yeah. All to say Matt is right. Uh, Speaking of anonymous stuff, we have a, uh, We have a couple of responses already from our two-part series on banks are buying your neighborhood. Do you remember this one, Matt? It's pretty recent for us. No. (laughs) (laughs) No, and I won't talk about it on social media either.
1: (laughs) No, no. the trick with social media is to make sure you have accounts in everything, right? Every major social media outlet, make sure you have an account. Just don't do anything with it. Right? That's that's what I do. That's how you normalize, right? <laughs> yeah, it looks fine mm-hmm. from afar. Mm-hmm. I'm all <laughs> over no social idea. media
2: as the strong silent type. Uh, so. Yeah. Uh,
1: okay, so yes, I do remember this series, Ben. Uh, excellent one, horrifying one, very personal one. And it wasn't just personal to us. It was personal to many of you, especially you, Stephanie, because you wrote to us and you told us about it.
2: Yes. Uh, Stephanie says, hello all, I've been meaning to write in and the recent talk of businesses buying up housing finally got me to sit down and do it. Uh, You know, Matt, you and I hear this line pretty often. I always read or hear someone saying, hey, I've listened a long time. This insert here is what finally moved me to contact you. And if you are listening and you ever hear something like that, then don't hesitate. Take a page from Stephanie's book. You are why this show exists. So Stephanie says, I'm from Waco, Texas, which could be a conspiracy podcast all its own, but it has always been a mid-sized city on the lower income spectrum. Oh, please. You stop mm-hmm. that to pee on your way from Dallas to Austin. I bought my house, says Stephanie, in 2010 for about $80,000 U.S. Full disclosure, it was nepotism, as my mom didn't want to continue the hassle of renting it out, which she only did because she couldn't get a buyer. Cut to today, my house is now worth 280000 In that time, nothing major improved on the house or the land, but there was a little show that came around called Fixer Upper.
1: And Stephanie continues, While I can appreciate that Waco is now known for something other than violence and cults. Uh, Yes, we all remember Waco for that, Stephanie. And the city is now blossoming into the college town the Southern Baptists didn't want it to be. (laughs) That's really funny. Uh, There is a downside for the residents who can't compete with people and businesses coming in, often from out of state, and buying up houses sight unseen for the asking price or more, especially when incomes in the city haven't kept up with its growth. At the very least, weekly, I will get letters from people saying how they fell in love with Waco and would love to buy my house, or calls and texts asking if I would like to sell my house or any other property in Waco I may have. Insider did a great write-up on how the fixer-upper effect has impacted locals and the city as a whole. And she links to the article there.
2: Yeah, and this is is a great article. Thank you for sending, Stephanie. It is... Uh, By Samantha Grendel, Chip and Joanna Gaines' dream to fix up Waco is pushing it out of locals' reach. Uh, So the idea is just the visibility of uh, of a national show like this has driven up prices and reduced availability. But here, Matt, fellow conspiracy realist, Stephanie takes a turn and talks about another related, uh, another related phenomenon that we mentioned previously. She says, "One bit of amusement that all the new people bring in, and why I was originally going to write." is their OMG WTF post on Nextdoor and other city-centered message locations every time the sky randomly starts rumbling anywhere from 30 seconds to several minutes at intensities of barely heard to you're pretty sure your windows are about to break, which some claim has actually happened. Stephanie doing research links to an article describing just that and continues to
1: say the following. When I was listening to your listener mail posts about people being suspicious of the random loud noises in their city's skies, I had to laugh. Waco is about 20 minutes away from McGregor, where there is a SpaceX test facility. At this facility, they test fire the SpaceX rockets. And in case you're unaware, space rockets are very loud and emit quite the sound wave. This has been happening for about a decade now, so the locals have learned to tune it out unless it's especially loud or long. Which made me think, if the government, or whoever, really wanted to test some rocket or plane-like thing, they could easily do it south of Waco, and we would all just ignore it, or write it off as either SpaceX or Fort Hood. And Stephanie closes
2: saying, uh, thanks for all you all do and satisfying the love of conspiracies I inherited from my dad and the skepticism I inherited from my mom. All in one podcast. Oh. Yeah, Thank you for writing in, Stephanie.
1: Seriously, Stephanie, congratulations on having Fox and Scully as your parents. That's pretty cool. <laughs>
2: Gosh. You know, I think we were talking about this off air. Uh, I, I rewatched, you know, we, we say our names pretty often when we're on air uh, because it can help people know which voice is saying what. Uh, but when I rewatched X-Files, Matt, I noticed that uh, they say Mulder's name about every two and a half minutes to the point where it kind of can take you out of it. If you, if you hear it, you can't unhear it. I'm sorry if I ruined early seasons of X-Files for people, especially because those were the better seasons.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. It doesn't ruin anything for me. I love hearing the, the name Mulder as much as possible.
2: Yeah, so did uh, <laughs> Scully Loves saying it, apparently. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, they do lean into it. Uh, we received and are receiving so much feedback about that series on banks by neighborhoods. I uh, want to give a special shout out to several anonymous sources who contacted us with facts on the ground. People are working in this industry and not only confirmed some of the observations that we made in that series, but uh, took it even further. So stay tuned. But first, we're going to take a break for a word from our sponsors, and we're going to come back with a little bit of, what would you call it, Matt? Standardized
1: testing? All right, so get out your number two pencils and whatever else you need a ruler. Do we need a compass for this? I, I don't know. We'll be back with a test.
3: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand. Tempt to hire part-time or full-time.
1: and we've returned and for this test everyone we're going to need you to close your books please make sure they're on the floor Uh, make sure your book bags are closed no looking at your neighbors alright we're going to hear from k Dubs, and uh, once she's finished we're going to begin the test so here we go hey
4: guys I'm going to give myself the nickname k Dubs. yesterday I listened to your episode about uh, the ha- hazards of standardized testing. I'm also somebody who's trying to get a new job in the technology field. I went and applied for an entry-level job, no specific certifications required or anything like that. And they called me back. Uh, the phone interview went fine and dandy with the HR person. After HR, they were like, here, we're going to send you a link to do these online tests. They are effectively job application standardized tests. I was not contacted uh, that I didn't get the job until I poked them again about, hey, I haven't heard from you and I believed I would. So yesterday I listened to your episode. Then today when I got the email that I was officially rejected on the grounds of having lower test scores than other candidates. Oh boy, howdy was I. I'm still feeling very negative about it and that's putting it politely. So just... For any technology job out there, don't say you believe in diversity if you're going to have a standardized test that you have for all applicants that you then reject people based only on the test score and not actually talking to them. So, I have a lot of negativity towards this sort of thing. I I was the student who had the accommodations in the IEP in school, including longer to take you know standardized tests, and generally I can pass them. All right. There you go. Thanks for a
1: great show, guys. Bye. Wow. All right. uh, So as we prepare for this test, we have to consider a few things. Um, Ben, I was not aware that standardized testing happened during job applications. Um, I guess that's primarily because I've never changed jobs, really. (laughs) Um, I don't know how how common it is, really. Seriously. Because we've been working kind of one job for like, what, 14 to 16 years, depending on uh, how you judge time. Uh, I'm assuming it's a common thing for a lot of people out there. I wasn't able to find a lot of writing about it, a lot of news reporting about it. I've seen some things about aptitude testing, which seems to be something maybe different than this kind of standardized test that maybe a tech company would put out. Uh, at least the kind that K-Dubs experienced. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know, do, do you have any experience with a standardized test for a job or do you know anything about it? Yeah, so
2: things are going to differ in many parts of the world, right? That's the that's the first thing to realize. And uh, K-Dubs, I, I think you're, you're calling from the United States. So one thing that we can note that you note, know, K-Dubs, is that intelligence is not directly one's intelligence, right? Or one's aptitude is not directly related to the skill set of one taking a standardized test, right? It's a very, um, it is a pretty well-defined skill set. Yeah. And that's why there are allowances in some educational, uh, spheres to say, Hey, we know this kid knows it. Let's just not rush them. Right. Or Hmm. something like that. A, A test overall, the main message of our question about the hazards of standardized testing was simply that a standardized test is based often on simply unsound assumptions. Right. Like there is there is no definition, a workable definition of intelligence nor sentience, sapience. So how can one test for something one doesn't understand? In direct response to your question, Matt, there are jobs that do have what we consider standardized tests. Uh, for instance, any job in the trades that requires a certification, right? They're not grappling necessarily with philosophical questions. They're saying, "Do you know how to weld, right? Yeah. You, can you can you work the transmission on this truck?" Those I think are fair because they're very they're skill oriented, right? They're knowledge yes. and skill
1: oriented, and that's that's what I wanted to bring up. We have before on our team pretty recently, I think, yes. Asked for people applying to be an editor, right? A producer and editor of audio podcasts to take, you know, you send the same audio files to several people and you Ooh. ask them to create a cut of something so you can listen back to it. Right. And that's what's, what that's doing is just displaying the skills that they already have when they're applying for this somewhat higher level position, uh, you know, to be someone who's actually editing and, you know, sound designing something. Um, but I wouldn't, Give that kind of test to somebody who is just starting out, maybe coming out of college or just you know a an entry level position. I would expect that person to be learning a lot on the job, and it's just weird to me that K Dubs applied for an entry level position where I imagine there would be a ton of learning in that Dang. first you know couple of months, year, or whatever long it would be. Um, that you wouldn't have to like pass with a bunch of skills coming in. I don't know, it's just that, that felt weird to me. But then I found on aptitude-test.com mm-hmm. a short little list of, I think it was about 10, yeah, it's 10 companies like Pfizer, Amazon, Boeing, Toyota, Nestle, a bunch of these companies that do have aptitude testing of some sort, and it's usually based on the position that's being sought. Mm-hmm. So it's a specialized test, like, like a certification, right? But in this case, it's just a test that you get Simply for applying, and you just have to show your skills.
2: Uh, yeah, but how are those skills defined? I mean, that's that's a tricky question because, look, the the big issue with, I feel like every time I talk about standardized testing, I point to something else and say, here's the big issue. But mm-hmm. uh, fairly phrased, another big issue is simply this: it is relatively easy to test someone for specific skills, right? Uh, specific experiential things. It is enormously difficult to test people for the most important part of intelligence, which is the ability to learn. You can't really, that's why interviews are key a lot of times with managers. Um, the idea that you could, like in the world of coding right, and programming, this happens all the time. There's someone who is, Whip crack, smart, right? And they know a language back and forth and they can program it all day and they're fast and their mistakes are within an acceptable margin of error, but they cannot learn a new pursuit. They cannot learn outside of that dimension. They cannot add to the encyclopedic knowledge they already possess. And this means that the, uh, the golden goose there is someone who already has their chops, ideally, and is a fast learner and is able to incorporate new things and synthesize those new discoveries into their existing process. Now, that, that sounds very much like a corporate, uh, corporate malarkey, right? Corporate, I'm like full of jargon here. But the point stands. So the question is without knowing more about what you were being tested for, K Dubs, the point is that it sounds like they're testing for some sort of baseline, right? That they mm-hmm. honestly probably worked on with a consulting company or some sort of third-party entity. And that baseline, whatever it is, uh, I, I would wonder if that was explained to test takers beforehand because that does make a measurable impact on testing. The studies are there. If people know what they are being tested for, then they, it will affect their performance. Uh, The second thing I would ask is, is it testing for an ability to learn? And then who makes a course? What what happened is people took the test and they were probably classified in very wide, rough buckets, maybe like a green, yellow, red color coding, something like that. Or, you know, just these like margins, ballpark numbers. That's almost the same thing as a uh, three different stacks of paper. Right each one, a resume. And then when someone is hiring based on that or determining a pool of candidates, I would question whether there's anything to stop somebody from putting their favorite applicant on the top of the pile. It's very Hmm. easy to do. And like to take your example, Matt, I hope this doesn't happen. I doubt it will in our endeavors, but it's quite possible that someone could come and, and top down you and say, look, Might not be the best editor right now out of the gate, but this is my friends, cousins, godfathers, sons, uh, podiatrist, niece, and they are a quick learner and they deserve a shot. So make it happen.
1: Well, that hasn't happened yet, Ben, but uh, I did get all of my friends from college hired at the same company. So,
2: well, you did. Uh, but but they, they <laughs> but also they all they're all kick ass people and still work with us today uh, and have done amazing. It was before
1: things. I knew what nepotism was, okay, <laughs> I was a little boy.
2: Uh, we are all just try trying to trying to get jobs. Um, but this this question about standardized testing, I gotta ask, man, is it? I think overall, it's right. It's okay for companies to require some kind of uniform test, but I'd be very, I'd be very hesitant to take the results of a single test alone as a clear indication of someone's suitability. It just doesn't seem like that's the entirety of the puzzle. You know what I mean?
1: Well, that's what the in-person final interview is for, right? That's generally how it goes with a lot of these places. Um, Another thing K-Dubbs mentioned is that she required extra time to take standardized tests. Uh, it was you know, something that a lot of educational departments do across the United States and the world. Um, if you can't take a test the same way, you may need a little extra time. So that's allowed, at least within an educational system. I would say it probably functions differently once you are attempting to get a job or working for an employer for money. That extra time you may need for a test may be taking a different way when you're being considered for for a hire.
2: Mm -hmm. Also, let's be honest, uh, without knowing this company, other than the loose description that you gave us, K-Dubs, we can say that many, many, many times, especially for larger outfits, the goal behind something like standardized testing is to automate with predictable consistency the hiring process to remove, ostensibly, as much personal input, influence, emotion, feeling as as can be removed. So this, this gives people a couple of things. For the people hiring, it gives them the ability to say yes easily. Most of the time, people who are doing hiring are getting tons of input and they want to be able to see the easiest thing to say yes to that won't come back and bite them later. So with a system... Of any sort, even if that system actually doesn't work that well, uh, as long as it appears to work well, the people who are working off that system can say, oh, that's an easy yes, and oh, it's not my personal decision, it's just the system. And that means that if, for instance, one of their friends or a relative applies and they can't put their thumb on the scale, they can say it's not me. It's just the system. And shout out to every one of our fellow conspiracy realists listening today who was on the phone with a company or was on uh, or was representing a company and used that, like witnessed that modality, that mentality going into play. Like, hey, I hear you. I understand you. But the system says, right now, it's not now it's not you talking now. It's not us talking. It's this system. Now, what, what are the inner workings of the system? It's not my department. And uh, that's, that's, how, that's how these things get made. You know, it's quite possible, too, given the way that, um, given the way that a lot of companies uh, circle around things. It's quite possible that the person who's making the hiring decisions never had to take that test themselves. They might not really know mm. what's on it. They might just get the, the results kicked back to them and then have them coded by margins. There are a lot of questions, Um, and unfortunately, uh, would-be employees are the least likely population to say, hey, can you give me some more information about this test? I don't think there's anything wrong with it, but I can say in sort of real politic terms, that probably does lower your chance of getting hired in the future.
1: So the lesson is, before you apply to any entry-level position, work another job that's easier to get, make enough money to buy the software and hardware you need to get good at the job you want to apply for.
2: <laughs> there we go. Fix, cook the test. But also, <laughs> you know, another thing we have to be, like, I'm surprised we haven't talked about this yet. This last point for me, Matt, last point for me, K-Dubs, uh, the hiring requirements for many jobs, at least pre-pandemic, were cartoonish. I've been trying not to use that word as often because I know I lean into it, but they definitely cartoonish. How are you going to be someone fresh out of high school or fresh out of college in an entry level position that requires three to four years of experience, right? How are you going to be fresh out of high school, fresh out of college uh, and you get a job that requires you to live in New York, but doesn't pay you enough to live in New York, right? Like that, There were so many catch-22s, and there's a larger conversation to be had, I think, about the debate of, um, oh gosh, various sources were spinning it to fit their various agendas. They were saying, no one wants to work anymore, which is a statement that dates back in this country to the 1800s. It's not a new argument. And then there's the other thing that says, hey, well, if it's a free market, Why don't you pay what people are asking? Whoa, that's a problem, too. Uh, I I think the issue is that this society has a love of systems so long as those systems remain largely unexamined. I yield my time.
1: Hey, all right. Uh, I accept your time, and I will counter with the United States government thought it was going to make 160-something billion dollars on student loans. Mm -hmm. And then they recently found out they're actually going to lose, I don't know, I forget the actual number, 200 to 300 billion dollars on all those student loans instead of making money. It's what happens when you cripple Uh, a generation, Matt. It's exactly, that's exactly what it is. Uh, Okay. Uh, All right. That is a bubble that's going to pop.
2: Yes, right. But... Uh, Matt, as you said earlier, we did promise a test. And here is the test for you, fellow conspiracy realist. Would you like to take a page from Stephanie's book, from K-Dub's book, from uh, Naked Mole Rats scathing diatribe against us? Pass the test. Be part of this show in the future. We'd love to hear from you. Is that all right, Matt? Was that the test? I didn't check the show. Okay.
1: Oh, no, that is the test. Here's the real test. Every episode, we say how to contact us. We, we tell you our social media. We tell you the Ooh. voicemail, how Ooh. to call it. We tell you even our email address. The crossroads. And we, the we, we, yeah. mm-hmm. we usually even tell you about our book, Stuff They Don't Want You To Know, that's available in October this year. Make sure you pre-order now. They're going to run out one day, so might as well get one now. <laughs> um, but here's the test. Yeah. We're not going to tell you any of that stuff today. Ooh. Mm -hmm. If you want to know that stuff, you got to go find it Mm -hmm. somewhere else, because it ain't here.
2: (laughs) And we'll give you uh, we'll give you one hint. I'll be fair. There's one correct answer. You have to help us find the other ones. But the one answer we will give you is uh, the the best way to contact us uh, in writing. We read every letter we get. All you have to do is send us a good old fashioned email where we are.
1: Conspiracy at iHeartRadio.com Stuff They Don't Want You To Know is a production of iHeartRadio.